this morning as we uh, begin and before we get to the parable for the day, I want to offer a challenge to you today. Uh, I want to, I want you to hear this this morning as if Jesus is actually speaking this parable to you in the particular situation and moment that you are in your life. And I know we come from various segments, but I think uh, when Jesus offers a challenge like today's parable, it's easy for us to read or listen to this in a way that would be for other people rather than for us. I don't know if you've ever been in a a sermon before and you thought, oh, I wish so-and-so was here because it would have been a great message for them to hear, right? And sometimes we evade the hard word of Jesus that really is supposed to be spoken into our lives. I want to challenge you to listen as if this is a word for you in this season. Uh, Because uh, this is a parable that is a difficult parable to hear. You know, in our culture, we tend to think about wealth in a relative way. We live in in Collin County, which means it's very easy for us to compare our lives to the lives of others around us and to pretend as if we're really not all that blessed or wealthy or comfortable. And many of us do have challenges. We have challenges around finances. We have challenges around uh, suffering and and grief. That's something we've talked about already today. But we are, in many ways, uh, live in a blessed place. In in so many ways that are a blessing and in ways we don't acknowledge. We also have challenges that sometimes we don't acknowledge because of the place we live in. And I think this message this morning speaks to that in a particular way. Uh, Sometimes we say things like, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's a real nice phrase that kind of clarifies that we want to be true to what Scripture says and follow it as closely as we can. But there are passages that come right at us, and it's interesting how we evade that kind of direct approach. One of those passages, I think, is the rich young ruler passage. It's not the parable for today, but every time I read a commentary about the rich young ruler or I hear a sermon or a lesson taught, I'm amazed at how people do gymnastics to try to basically say, yeah, Jesus said that to this person, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything for us. We're fine the way we are. And I'm not sure that if Jesus were in our day, that's how he would uh, attach things to us is say, well, I once told a story to the rich young ruler, but none of y'all are that. If, If ever there was a people who needed to hear that in the midst of our world as it is today, we might be that church and might be those people along with others in our culture. Because you've heard it before, right? The rich young ruler. Uh, what's one of those? I, you've almost all heard this example as a way to evade the passage. Well, there was a gate in Jerusalem called the needle's eye. And so when it says a camel couldn't get through the eye of a needle, uh, it doesn't mean it's impossible. It's not like a literal needle we're talking about. We're talking about a, a gate in Jerusalem that the camels would have had to kind of get down to get through. It would have been difficult, but it would have been, it's possible. The problem is that idea about a needle's eye gate doesn't show up until the 11th century in the first time we hear about it. It's basically just kind of a made up thing by a church guy in the 11th century to make that a less challenging passage. And those facts are really troubling, right? Because when we hear that, it's like, okay, we've got to deal with Jesus all over again. So we're going to come to the parable, the rich fool this morning. It's in Luke chapter 12. I invite you to open on your phones, tablets, Bibles, We'll have it on the words on the screen in a moment. I'm going to pray as we open this passage this morning to hear a word from God. Let's pray together. God, we, uh, we invite you to the space as we already have. We know you're already here. It's more our openness to you that is dependent on if you can get your message through to us. So God, my prayer is you would remove all distractions, God, that uh, no matter where we come in today, that we would hear this word as a word that's right as we need it in this moment, in this day and age, and to this church. God, I pray this morning... Uh, that you would bring comfort where comfort is needed, and it's obviously needed this morning to us, God. And you would bring challenge where challenge is needed and where we can hear it. And then we would step through uh, to the abundant life you have pointed us to in this parable. 
I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, most titles of this parable, as I said earlier, would title it the parable of the rich fool. But let's be honest. We don't think this guy's a fool at all. We would call him wise in our culture. So let's read this again and see if that title is actually a, uh, an appropriate one. Luke 12, beginning in verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Is that your definition of a fool? Is that really what we would call this thing? In many ways, what he does is just common sense, isn't it? So many of us are in the process of doing ourselves. God blesses you with more, you figure out a way to receive that more, right? God blesses you with more children and and, and you don't have enough space in your home, then you've got to figure out a new space to receive that more in. If, If God... Uh, blesses you with a raise. I know very few people who would say, you know, I don't quite know how I would spend that, so why don't you keep the money, right? And we find a way to use the excess or the more that's brought. Uh, If we're brought more money, we know that that's okay. We can figure out with the bank how they'll be able to store more away. And then So he saves his money, and one day he hopes to be able to eat, drink, and and be merry. Uh, I mean, is it wrong to save up for a vacation? Is it wrong to... Save for retirement? What is this story really about? A lot of us would raise our hands and say, well, this is just kind of common sense. This is how you live. This is how we're trying to live. This is how our financial advisor is helping us figure out how to make it work. In our culture, this guy is a wise man. In fact, many of us pattern our lives after this guy. But Jesus calls him a fool. And that forces us to have to come back to this text and ask the question, why is that? What is it? about this man that's so foolish. So let's start back at the beginning of the story. The story begins with a younger brother, before Jesus tells the parable, coming to Jesus with a question, or really a challenge to Jesus. Jesus, would you please help me and my brother? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance between us. Now, some of you know what this is like to have to deal with inheritance, right? You've had parents pass, or you've had wills that have been read, and some of you wish you had Jesus on the spot to talk to your siblings about it too, right? Understanding that culture, what we can surmise is this. The father has passed away, and so the inheritance is having to be divided between what seems like two brothers in the story. Likely, this is the younger brother who's coming to Jesus, trying to seek justice in this situation. And by Jewish law, if one heir wants a division of the property of the inheritance, it's supposed to be granted. Uh, Otherwise, they would just live on the land. They'd figure out a way to live together on the land they'd grown up with growing up. But the Roman law said uh, that if... Uh, that both parties had to agree uh, in order for a solution to come together. So you've got kind of Roman law, you've got Jewish law, they're coming to Jesus, the younger one who feels a little bit of an an affront in this situation is saying, hey, Jesus, help us out. And uh, if if you're paying attention to the rest of Scripture, along with a story like this, and there's some stories that come to mind that may light up on your dashboard a little bit, right? You've got the story of the prodigal son we talked about a few weeks ago. Similar story. You've got a son that wants the inheritance. In that story, though, the father is still alive. This is an incredibly disrespectful thing that's done, asking for the inheritance before the dad dies. So you got that story. But if you go further back, all the way back to Genesis, there's a story 
about a similar thing. It's a story about a guy named Abram and his nephew named Lot. If you have your Bibles, keep a finger there in Luke 12, but turn back with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13. I want to read this story to remind you of it, or maybe for the first time get to hear it uh, right now. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for, if we, are, for, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar, well watered. He ends up choosing that land. And Abram allows him to do that. Abram takes the land that's not as attractive. It ends up being the land of Canaan, an important land still to this day. But the text says that quarreling arose. And if you've ever been a part of this kind of scenario with the inheritance, it can often happen, can't it? Um, maybe this has happened before in your family. The will is read to the children, and all of a sudden, a family that got along pretty well struggles to find a way forward. Or, or the divorce occurs, and fighting occurred that happened in the marriage, but even more so when uh, things are figured out for the fight for assets and child support. Or maybe you had a business deal that you went in with a friend, and all of a sudden that friendship had a rift in it that never could come back together because of money and trying to figure out how to deal with it. Or you've heard stories about the lottery and how a ticket's claimed, quarreling ar- arises, and a person's life is destroyed in the process. This is not an ancient issue. This is as uh, c- current as it could possibly be. This is a relevant story. Money has power. It has mal- power to do incredible good, but it also has power to, to rip, rip apart families and to destroy relationships and to take our lives uh, hold and captive. So in Genesis 13, Abram says, well, enough with that. I don't want to deal with that. The relationships are more important than the money. So lot you take... The, the best land if you want it, and, and we'll go the other way, and, and it'll be just fine. He takes a hit. It, it's a cost to Abram in this scene. And I think that's an important word for some of us who find ourselves in some situations where maybe we felt like we were in the, uh, maybe the one who caused the wrong. We don't know how to pull things back together. Or maybe we realize that we were really done wrong. We're allowing that money or, or that con to really stand in the way of relationships. That can be really hard to get over. But Abram gives us kind of a pattern to say, how, how do we move back into relationships? Relationships are more important than money. Because you can't, you can replace money, you can't replace relationships in the same way, especially when it has to do with family. So money has this power to tear families apart, and we see that in Luke chapter 12 as we jump back to that story. This younger brother uh, is, uh, comes, and I want to read uh, just what it says there, uh, just to get the scene there. Luke 12, verses 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between me and you? Last thing you want to hear from Jesus is man, right? As he starts something. Then he said to them, watch me on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, if I'm the younger brother, I'm frustrated because I'm like, Jesus, what? I didn't ask you about greed. I asked you about figuring out this inheritance thing. Just make it fair, Jesus. That's all I'm about. But Jesus looks internally. He looks at the heart and he sees this is about more than just 
equity. This is about more than justice. He's wanting Jesus to come to his side and to prove that he's in the right here. This guy has an issue with greed. Some of us need to hear this message this morning. If we've had relationship harm, is it it about the relationship? Is it a challenge that can't be overcome? Or is is there greed that somehow found its way into our heart that really is the uh, deep issue there? But as we go forward, I want you to pay close attention to the text we read earlier. Verses 16 and 17. I want to read these again. Pay close attention to the language. Pay close attention to the adjectives, especially in what I'm about to read. Luke 12, verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, if you're listening close to the text, you realize what the text says there. It's something odd. It's not how we talk about how money or produce comes. It says the ground of a certain rich man produced an abundance. It doesn't give the credit to the guy. It doesn't give the credit to all of his hard work that goes in seed time before the harvest is brought in. No, no, no. The ground of a certain rich man produced a great harvest. I think it's really important for us to see because in our lives, we can begin to attribute the blessings that have come into our lives or the wealth that we've been able to accumulate. And sometimes we can begin to think that we've done this for ourselves. And there's a lot of hard work that goes into producing and providing for a family. But ultimately what this says is the truth of the matter. It's the ground that creates that. Ultimately, it's God who's the one who offers and gives these blessings to us. If you find yourself in a situation where God has provided, it is God. It's not just the work that we've done. And I I think sometimes we make this mistake that a lot of us have grown up in a good situation through accidents of birth that put us in a place that we kind of account for ourselves. Some of us were born on third base and we think we hit a triple. Uh, We were born in America. That was an accident of birth, right? Or or we were born into a family that that thought it was really important to save up for, for college and help us out along the way. Or I don't know what your situation is. We all grew up in different situations. Some of us have made more than our families kind of set us up for, but it's easy to think that we're the ones who did all this. But ultimately, everything comes from God. Every good gift comes from him. He's the owner of all things. Now watch closely in verse 17 as we read on again those adjectives. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Something to connect in this guy's brain. He doesn't say these are God's crops. It's not the ground. It's my crops. And then if you read on in verse 18, he talks about my barns. He talks about my surplus grain, which begs another question for you this morning. Do you, do you see your things, the God, things God's blessed you with as yours or as God's? Who, who's, the, who's the owner of these things? And that can be a hard thing for us to consider and to think about. What does that mean? What's the implication of considering this God's, all of it, that we've been given? How does that shape generosity? Think about it, right? If it's yours then it's you as this incredibly generous person. But if you're a steward of gifts and God's the owner and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and there's more to go around, it's not an idea of scarcity that there's not going to be enough that God will provide. All of a sudden, generosity becomes handling God's money in a way he would want us to handle it. The man in this parable believes he owns things. He believes that he has an abundance that's meant to give him a comfortable life. And so he decides to tear down his barns and to build up bigger ones. He decides to stockpile his wealth so he can retire fat, happy, and content. And Jesus says, you're a fool. Now, I got a confession to make. Holly and I live in a, in a home here in Allen. And on the bottom floor of our house, we have this room that, uh, that is, is, is attached to our house. And it actually, like... We have two of our vehicles that live in that room of our house. How crazy is that? 
And it's really frustrating when we have the internet and the internet goes down. It's not as fast as we wish it would be. And in fact, there was a day when we lived in Colorado before our third kid came. We had a whole bedroom in our house and no one slept in it except when family and friends came. This is just the norm, right? It's what we imagine is the thing we start with, but the way things will be in our lives. These are blessings. And they're meant to be seen as things that we're generous with, not things that we hoard and hold on to. Sometimes when I hear people talk about blessing, and I hear them talk about, I really want God to bless me in this season. They're praying for prayers of blessing. I think those prayers are appropriate prayers to play with the right heart and mind as stewards of what God's given us. But sometimes what we mean when we say blessing is, God, I want you to bless me so that I can be self-dependent and no longer have to depend on you. That's actually what blessing is. The minute we've been blessed means, okay, God, I no longer have to go to you because I've got everything I need now set up. You've blessed me. Blessing shouldn't lead to a place of self-dependence. It should lead us to more dependence as we continue to funnel the blessings of God on to others who need it. That's what blessing's about. Not self-dependence, it's about God-dependence. And if you look closely at the story, this is what happens to a lot of people when they, when they end up accumulating things, is all of a sudden they begin to call it mine, and they end up isolated. This guy's isolated. He's built a prison for himself with his wealth. And I think this happens a lot in our culture. I mean, if you look at the text, actually, in verses 17 and 18, twice it mentions he's talking to himself. I said to myself, that's what he says twice. In that community, it would have been clear that when you talk about these things, I know we think about money as a private matter, so we don't really talk to that many people. But in this culture, when you make big decisions, it's a communal culture. You go to the city gate and you ask the elders who are there. You talk to your family. You make decisions as a community. But this guy is all alone. He has built a prison for himself with the wealth that he has. And I don't think it's all that different in our day. The more we have, the more we don't have to see those who don't have. Now, Jesus is harsh at the end of the parable. He calls the man who builds bigger barns a fool, and that's harsh. After all, this guy's not that bad of a guy. He's a guy that we model our lives after. In American culture, he's just a responsible citizen who's putting away for retirement so that he doesn't have to depend on others. Do you know that 50 years ago, there wasn't such a thing as a self-storage facility industry? Today, it's a $38 billion a year industry in the United States. Do you know that there are 2.3 billion square feet of storage space in the United States, which is the equivalent of three Manhattan Islands? And they say that they could fit the entire population of America inside of there. Pretty cramped, right? But think of, just think about that, right? Just our extra stuff. Just the stuff that we have to build a second barn for. That's how much we have. And what does it tell you when an industry springs up like that? I was thinking earlier this week, and I was like, I need to buy into the self-storage industry, right? That's what it tells me. No, it tells us that we've got too much of an addiction to our things. We're, we're storing things up. We don't know how to handle what God has given to us. Or take retirement, for instance. Some of you are saying, please don't talk about retirement, Colin. In the Stone Age, everyone worked until about the age of 20, and then they just died, right? But as life expectancy changes, things are shaped differently. And so in 1880, 78% of men, 65 and over, worked. In 2000, only 17.5% of men, 65 and older, worked. Retirement has been basically a recent development over the last 65 years, or maybe a little more for at least the upper crust of culture. But the middle class, retirement is this kind of status symbol. It's something we work for, we put away for, we hope there will be a day that it will be taken care of. 150 years ago, 
Almost no one thought of retiring. So today we don't build bigger barns generally. At least some farm farmers might think of doing such a thing. What we do is we come up with a number we need to retire on. And when that finally gets filled up, then we know we can kind of stop working. This sermon is not a rant against retirement. I plan and hope to retire someday, but I hope we all understand this. And that is in the kingdom of God, there is no retirement. You never get done with your kingdom career and then you hang it up and kind of wait for heaven. We're always on call with the blessings God has given us to continue the work of blessing people's lives, of telling the story of good news, of looking out for those who don't have enough and providing for them. It never stops. And I hope I never get to the place where I think, I've earned enough resources now that I just keep it for myself. Church, we are only stewards of whatever God has put into our hands. He is the owner, we are the stewards. And in all truth, money is hard to earn, but it's even more difficult to keep once you earn it, isn't it? The author of Ecclesiastes is a guy named Solomon. Solomon was the wealthiest man who lived at his time. And he has some words that I think are really important to kind of lay aside this rich fool that Jesus tells about. This is what he has to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 17 and following. Listen to these words in light of this conversation about work and wealth. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Chapter 5, he goes on to talk about the meaninglessness of accumulating wealth. Then there's one more verse I want to share that I think may help us as we think about this in light of where we live and who we are. I want you to hear these words closely. This is Ecclesiastes 8, verse 15. Wisest man who lives, wealthiest man who lives this time. These are his words of challenge and encouragement to us about how we handle our things. It says, so I commend the enjoyment of life. Because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and to be glad. Then joy will accompany them in, all their, in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under their son. There's a phrase in that last phrase of the, of the verse I want you to pay attention to. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the son. Something about Solomon that he's able to realize and acknowledge that, yeah, a lot of things are meaningless. The minute I receive as gift the thing that God has given to me, the the minute I realize that it is God's to give to me, it's not mine to own. I don't put a my in front of it. I don't own any of these things. The the moment I receive it as a gift, all of a sudden it can be engaged and enjoyed in ways it cannot if we're greedily holding on to things and storing them up for a day in the future. I think that's the difference between the author of Ecclesiastes and this rich fool. Is this rich fool considers everything his and he's worried about all those days ahead that he makes sure he has enjoyment that's kept up for him. And the reason Jesus calls him a fool at the end of that parable, if you read on, is because he says, you fool, you don't know when your life is going to be taken from you. You're storing up all these years and all these decades and, and this very night, your life will be taken from you. So I was prepping for this message uh, I was 
struggling late this week about whether this was the message to share because of all that had gone on in our church this week. We lost Art Carnes, and uh, it's a challenge that as they've walked through over the last six months as he's gotten his diagnosis with mesothelioma and the challenge of that. As we got the news about Brian Womble that so many of you have walked with that has been a shepherd to this church, I thought, we're, we're in a place of grief. What would be the point of a parable of challenge about our wealth? As I thought about Brian's life, and as I heard stories that were told this week, what I realized was Brian lived his life almost exactly opposite the rich fool. Brian was connected with people. He was not isolated. He was a connector. He was always in people's lives. And one of the things, uh, stories I heard over and over again is how generous Brian Womble was. Anything that he had, he would give to you. Not just his, 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 his Mavs tickets from, now, from time to time. Not just a, a shoulder to cry on. It was his time. It was everything he had. And it was to those who needed it most, too. And he was given his life. He wasn't waiting and storing up for a day when retirement would come, when he would finally have the good life he'd waited for. No, it was a life that he was living all along. And so many of us got the blessing of knowing him. Some of us from early days. And some of us more recently. There's a difference between those who have wealth, who are isolated and hold on to things and keep things from being lost. And there's another thing about a person who gives everything they have to others and connects with them and is not isolated and is in community and is generous with everything they have, who receives everything as a gift and gives it back when it's most needed. So I thought this is the perfect message because this is the life that Brian lived among us. There's a quote I've been sitting with that I hope I can curse you with sitting with this week. It's a challenging quote. I think it's right. And it's St. Augustine, centuries ago, who was talking about this very parable, the rich man, the rich fool. And this is what he has to say about that parable. I want this to stick with you. The rich man failed to realize the bellies of the poor are safer storerooms than his barns. Wow. Take that into your devotional time later on this week with this passage. Just sit with that for a moment. The, the rich man failed to realize the bellies of the poor are safer storerooms than his barns. And I say that with bags all around the stage this morning, which I love, right? Because what we're trying to in some way embody in the midst of our community, and we need to grow in this more and more, right? A lot of us need more skin in the game, not just a check that can go to But what I love is that we're trying to do that. We're trying to fill the bellies of the poor, knowing that a a poor person who has a belly that's rumbling is not going to be able to hear the good news of the gospel. Because it matters that we care for bodies just as it matters as we care for souls, right? We're all a a holistic unity in those things. And so whatever you have, you, you can try to keep that in a barn. You can try to keep moths from destroying the things that they destroy. You can try to keep thieves and rust from stealing what you have. But you can't take any of those things into the eternal kingdom of God. But one thing you can take into the relationships that are there. And one thing you can do is use all that you've been given in generosity, realizing it's a gift to bless those who need it most. So this morning as we close, I want to challenge you to hear this message. Not to reject it and say, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. And not just to think that this is a railing against anybody who's wealthy. No, God has blessed us each in our own proportion and I don't understand always how that all works, and some of us are more lucky to fall into what we're lucky to fall into. But no matter where you are, this is not a sermon that's shaming you for the resources you have. This is a sermon that's challenging you to see that if you hoard those things, 
And if you calculate about how you can protect them and that's all you do with the blessings God has given you, you will have a worse life for it. And stinginess and greed and all those things will erode your life. But if you learn to see these things, as Solomon says, as gifts, gifts that are poured into your hands so that you can be a a vessel that flows those blessings to others, you'll be amazed at the ways you're able to enjoy your life. Because you see it all as gift with open hands to be given. I hope you'll hear that today, wherever you find yourselves. This is a generous church, and I'm so grateful for this as an example of that. We'll have other offerings all throughout the year, and we never have a question if you'll come through on that. So many of you have developed that habit, and I want to encourage that even more and more. Let's never stop growing in the grace of giving, of generosity. Let's not do it in a calculated way that's about what shows up on our tax returns as tax-free earnings, right? Let's give as cheerful givers. Let's give as people who realize that we are only stewards of the incredible blessings that God has given to us. This is the way to the abundant life. I think we all should follow it. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, this, uh, this day we come before you and we thank you so much for this parable, as hard as it is to hear. It's so easy for us to avoid this and think this is written about other people in other places or it's written to uh, some of our neighbors who just don't get it as well as we do. The challenge is for us in the American church. God, you've blessed us, blessing upon blessing. And uh, I think we're responsible for a whole lot more because of that. We're going to be held responsible for how we steward the money that is yours. And we thank you how generous you are. Help us develop that same appetite, that same willingness in ourselves so we might live that abundant life. It's all gift. We receive it today. Help us to, uh, to see those around us, to not shield ourselves from those who are nearby us. Help us develop a heart for that more and more, God. Help us to see what that looks like in the days ahead. Uh, And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.